You're listening to The Beecast, the official podcast of Beeplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. In this week's episode, we show you how to write a business plan in under an hour, learn the basics of content marketing, and discuss 3D printing. So Peter, episode one, in the books. How are you feeling? In the books? On the, On the books? books. How did you feel? Oh, it was all right, I guess. We have episode two coming right up. Yeah, I'm a self-critical person, so I feel like it's uh, it was okay. I've I got to tell you, again. critical reception, very high. We've had... A lot of critical, I agree. Dozens <laughs> of listeners. It was very critical. So thank you guys for listening to us so Excellent. far. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? We've got an article by uh, Noah Parsons, How to Write a Business Plan in Under an Hour. Okay. And I think what we'd recommend is... Read the article, How to Write a Business Plan in Under an Hour, but basically the the concept, the framework that we're using is this one-page pitch. Noah kind of sketched out, here are the things that your one-page pitch should answer, Um, and we're going to do this, Peter and I uh, have done an exercise earlier today where we've taken our own fictitious business from TV, and we're going to answer these questions for that business. One of my favorite shows ever of all time, Arrested Development, and... The Bluth's original frozen banana stand. I'm going to do a business pitch for them. So. Right. There's money in the banana stand. There's always money in the banana stand. Uh, little known fact, I was actually promoted today to Mr. Manager, so I feel pretty good about that. Of this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I'm Mr. Manager. So Mr. Manager, if I can. Yeah. The, uh, the one thing I do want to emphasize here, and I think it's something we've heard a lot around the workplace here at a lot of these pitches we've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really telling a story is, is an important aspect of this. So while Noah outlines the points that should be covered within that story, I do think it's really paramount to construct this narrative, to tell the audience, whoever is listening to this pitch, to this one-page business plan, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, the, the story of the business. I mean, is it safe to say, though, for like a beginner who's never done this before, go through these points, try to answer the question, then come back and refine it into more of a storytelling aspect. That is one thing I always tell people, who okay. are, especially if you're doing this for the first time. Go through top to bottom. Go through everything we're going to go through. Do it once. Start back at the top. Go through it again. Okay. Don't get hung up. Don't get writer's block. If you feel like you have trouble describing something, put down whatever comes to mind. Get back to it the next time. Get back to it the next time. Because you're going to go through this thing 400 times. Okay. I think where that's enough introduction, right? We can kind of roll into this. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the first step, the the value proposition, that's going to be the hardest thing. Um, it's, it's a bit like the executive summary, and I think, uh, you know, that first sentence, the description of what your business is, is probably the hardest thing to write. So, uh, Jonathan, what's the value proposition for the uh, banana stand? Okay, here we go. Bluth's original frozen banana stand. Value proposition is... We provide cold bananas in a delicious brown treat. Cool off with this afternoon delight, a frozen banana dipped in hot fudge with your choice of special toppings. All right. Could rhyme a little more, but I think that's fine. Okay. 
Yeah, no, it's very succinct. So again, when we look at this value proposition, in a way it should tell the story. It should also somehow summarize a lot of the major points in a business. Uh, so what we're looking at here is, you know, it's it's a frozen banana. It's got the hot fudge, so it's different from just a frozen banana. Mm -hmm. Special topping, so it's customizable. Yeah. You know, I might suggest you want to add something about the location, the convenience. Okay. You know, what types of customers are coming to this. But again, you, you start to run out of words, right, right. to make this in a summary. So you got to make an, an, an economic decision in terms of what you're including, but you also really want to summarize that personality, the uniqueness of your business in this in this value proposition. And something that Noah also suggested in the article is maybe for each one of these things, start by trying to write it within the uh, limitations of a tweet, 140 characters. That's sure. a good way to like force yourself to be succinct. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm from kind of the school of write too much and edit back down. So okay. whatever works best for your personality. Um, let's talk a little bit about the problem-solution pair. You know, here what you really want to describe is is what's missing in the world and, and how do you fill it in. Okay, and I think I got this part down. So here we go. Uh, the problem is the customer is hot, hungry, and looking for a special treat. And the solution is is that our frozen bananas cool you off and fill you up. And let's face it, they're fun to eat on a stick. They're more nutritious than the cotton candy or ice cream treats that you'll find on the boardwalk, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg or even a hand to buy. Okay, great. So this is a great example. You can see that the solution had a lot more detail than the problem, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so again, the, the idea of summarizing this, making it not just succinct, but also covering the main points is good. Cool. Yeah. What's the next part that I'm supposed to do? Well, here's, the, here's one that uh, I think a lot of folks will overlook a lot of times, and the competition section, who else is out there doing what you're doing, uh, has a lot of meaning, I think, in a pitch like this. So let's let's take a look at what your, 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 your sample here has, Okay. and then let's talk about this a little more. So our competition includes other food and treat stands on the Oceanside Wharf Boardwalk, such as the Lighthouse Fountain and Grill. There's another stand that serves ice cream, frozen yogurt, and candied apples, and other desserts. And then there is a brief stint with a direct competitor called the Banana Shack. Um, so the banana stand differentiates itself by being a healthier alternative than ice cream treats. It's not as dangerous for your teeth as candied apples, and it's really convenient to eat with minimal cleanup. Um, quality is our first ingredient, and that means a lot to our customers. That's fantastic. So I think uh, you've addressed a few things here, and <clears throat> you know, one point that's very important, the competition is that direct competition. Another thing that comes up is what keeps people from buying from you. Okay, so like maybe an example would be if there's a jet ski rental place nearby, that could be competition for me because it's something that they can do with their time instead of buying a treat. Yeah, exactly. There's maybe no pause during it or moms don't want their kids buying frozen bananas because they'll get cramps on the jet skis. I got it. Okay. So what's next after competition? What's the, the next bullet point that I need to answer? So I think one very optional uh, bullet here is the funding needs. Noah describes this as this idea of like, if you're early stage, you need some money to get off the ground. Um, you know, maybe later stage business might need some money for working capital, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I've got this covered completely. We don't need funds because, as I've said before, there's always money in the banana stand, so I'm not worried at all about that. If you do include funding, if you do include a need for money in the future, whether it's soon or later, 
always just include what you're going to do with that money. How does it benefit the business? Very specifically, what are you going to do with it? So the next topic Noah talks about is the target market, where you describe your ideal customer. So for the banana stand, um, I think our ideal customers are mothers with children who are looking for an affordable, semi-healthy treat on a hot day at the boardwalk. And so see, we've gotten not just a very specific demographic, we've almost got like a time of day, you can kind of understand who these folks are. Right. And then what you can do is start to count the number of people. And the value there to understanding an estimate of how many of those folks might be available at a given day is uh, useful to the business owner. Because then you can say, well, if I get 10% of those uh, potential customers, I can make you know, the following amount of money. Okay. Let's go on to uh, what I think most people not necessarily try to avoid, but maybe feel like is a little daunting, which is the sales and marketing section. You've lumped them together in your pitch, so let's talk through them. Okay. So we sell our product exclusively at the Banana Stand, which is an eye-catching and fun location. It was built to look like an actual banana. To boost sales, we offer occasional discounts and promotions. We've also used employees dressed in a banana suit to walk around the boardwalk and promote the stand. The banana stand is available for corporate events and parties, such as the Bluth Company's holiday party. And finally, we have also licensed the animated character, Mr. Banana Grabber, to help promote our frozen banana stand. So the next was uh, budget and sales goals, according to Noah. So again, we're going to talk here a little bit about stuff that I think for most people isn't going to be the most thrilling, the most exciting. There's going to be some numbers in the middle of the pitch, right? Yeah, and I have to admit, this part was probably the hardest for me. Number one, guessing at what sales would be. No idea. Um, And then, I guess, wondering if my calculations were correct. Okay, and that's good. So, uh, you know, Jonathan, let's take it from your end on this idea that you may be, you know, let's pretend this banana stand is actually a brand new business. You know, something where, because you have to guess... Uh, We're assuming that this is not something that's up and running. This is not something that you've got tons of experience in. Uh, On the other hand, for, you know, the banana shop owners out there and every other type of business owner we've got, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the sales goals, you know, can be based on what you're doing currently. Okay. So you can look at your actual numbers and make projections off of that. Yeah, please do. So when it comes to my budget and sales goals, uh, here's what I've come up with. Not sure if it's 100% accurate, but I'll take your feedback. Um, Our main sales season is May to September, uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, And I'm guessing that we have 150 to 200 customers a day. Um, The average order, just guessing here, is probably about $2. Um, So doing the calculations, punching in those numbers... I'm expecting somewhere between 55000 and 70000 in sales for the entire year. You know, even that amount of detail can be a bit too much, actually, in this oh, section. Oh, okay. So it's great. You know, you really want to know what those sales goals are, what maybe your sales from last year are. In this case, you know, you're kind of making this estimate. Mm-hmm. So you could easily just say, you know, by the end of the year, we hope to make $70,000 in top-line revenue at this banana stand. And then go ahead and wait for questions. Okay. So in addition to that top-line revenue, you're also going to have your major expenses. You're going to have your costs, those kinds of things. So you have some 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 costs at the banana stand. Yeah, I sketched a couple out. There might be a few. Um, so there's the fee for having the banana stand at the boardwalk. And then there's the obvious cost of goods sold. I mean, we need bananas. We need the fudge. We need toppings. Yeah, and you've got employees and other things. So again, talking about it at a top-line level, making sure you know what those major expenses are, uh, thinking about them in terms of actual numbers at the end of the year, and then rolling those up. So now you've got revenue, Yep. you've got the expenses, yeah. and then you've got the net profit by the end of the year. 
Yeah. I'm going to say that's good enough for this. Okay. So coming up next, we got the milestones. This is obviously just to give some idea of what your time frame is for some of your major upcoming events. Sure. If you're a website, when is it launching? If you've launched, when's the next big revision? Uh, these kinds of things. Okay. And since the banana stand has been around since the 60s, um, we've actually already developed a really strong following of customers, primarily due to the hit song Big Yellow Joint that was released by Jimmy Jane in the 70s. Yeah. So that's a good milestone for us. Sounds fantastic. So I think I know the answer to this, but in your case, the team, as you would describe it, uh, who does that consist of? Well, as a family-owned business... Um, you know, our business partners are intimately familiar with each other, as well as with the history of the banana stand. Um, we have, you know, uh, George Michael, uh, his cousin maybe, and then there might be a period of time where we bring on a third employee, uh, T-Bone. Great. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the real thing you want to do here, Jonathan, if I can critique you on this banana stand sure. pitch, is uh, with the milestones, you want to talk about not just when the thing is happening, okay. but also why it's important to the development of your business. Hmm. So you know, you want to put a time against it. You want to set what needs to happen before you get there and then talk about what's going to happen when that occurs okay. for your business. What's the benefit there? And then on the team, just the one thing you really want to summarize is why are these people the best possible people for the job. So the partners and resources, one of the last sections Noah's got in his uh, outline here. Now partners and resources are people that you're going to work with, people who you're going to partner with to make your company a success. These might include strategic partners, distribution partners, any of those key folks, whether it's someone who's going to wholesale your product, someone who's going to help distribute your products, anything that your company relies on. Again, you want to talk about who they are do you have a deal in place with them currently, or do you need to work on it in order to make your company a success? I mean, what's going to happen between you and other businesses that's going to help make you successful? Yeah, and I think for the banana stand, you know, it's in our best interest to maintain a positive relationship with the vendors who provide us with materials like the bananas and other ingredients um, at those wholesale prices. So that's great. So all those items combined, told in a story format, Make sure you cover every point, and you've got your one-page business plan. You've got it done in under an hour, and now you can deliver this whole concept in three minutes, five minutes, maybe seven minutes, depending on who you're talking to at any time. Yeah, and i got to admit, that was the first time that I've done something like this to this full extent, and that was really fun. I think what I'm going to do, you know, we have an example on Noah's article from Garrett's Bike Shop, which is made with uh, the live plan pitch template. And uh, what we're going to do is make available the banana stand from the Bluths uh, as a download uh, of a pitch page. So you can see that in action with the graphs and things like that. So that's great, Jonathan. I feel like we really covered this article by Noah Parsons on bplans.com called How to Write a Business Plan in Under an Hour. I think the takeaways, we can uh, we had some fun with this banana stand that you worked on using his outline. It's also available in Live Plan, which is great. But I think really the exercise here is something that any business can do if you're at any stage at all. If you are thinking about leaving your job to go pursue your Etsy business, think through all of these items first. If you're up and running, if you've been going for five years and everything's strong, think through all these items. See which ones are more difficult for you and tell that story your own way. Make sure you get through the whole thing. And we just believe it's going to make you stronger, whether it's applying to funding, talking to your partners and relationships, mm -hmm. even talking to potential employees into the future. 
Yeah, so definitely check out that article on bplans.com. And we actually have a free member resource on the website. It's a one-page pitch template. So if you want to try to do this yourself, answer those questions for your business or a business idea that you have, it'll be a really great resource for you to get. And we'll have notes for that in the show notes for you to link to and download. So Peter, as you might remember, each week we're bringing in a guest to talk about their area of expertise, and I'm happy to welcome our newest guest, Candace Landau. She's the managing editor of bplans.com, and she's going to talk to us today about content marketing. Welcome, Candace. Uh, thank you for having me, Jonathan and Peter, on the podcast. I'm actually looking forward to doing this. It's my first podcast. So what I want to talk about a little bit today is what is content marketing? And once we've discussed this, we'll segue into talking about how you can use it as a small business owner. Excellent. So Candice, what is content marketing? Right. So I can give you the hard and fast definition first, Jonathan. Um, And it's probably best summed up by the Content Marketing Institute. So in the simplest terms, content marketing, it's a marketing technique for creating and distributing valuable, relevant and consistent content to attract and acquire a clearly defined audience. And this is ultimately with the objective of driving profitable customer action, because what else is the point if you're a business? Okay, and is there any way that you can maybe sum that up in like just an easy to digest way? Um, In the simplest words, Jonathan, I'd call it modern day marketing. And I genuinely say that if you're not doing it, you're not doing your marketing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty important today. And I think this is especially true if you're an online business or if you have a, you know, a particularly big online presence. Um, so, you know, for example, in the online world, you'll typically see content marketing in the form of blogs, infographics, micro websites, websites in their own right, um, books, videos, almost anything can be content marketing. If you're going to, if you're going to do content marketing, What you really have to know is the buying cycle. And typically in the marketing world, we we say that the buying cycle has about four steps. Four steps of the buying cycle. Okay, what are those? Okay, so number one, Jonathan, generating awareness or raising awareness. Um, And this would be that, you know, prior to awareness, a customer may have a need, but they're not aware that there's a solution for that need. So that's what we're trying to do in the first step. So second step will be the research. So obviously, we're talking again about the buying cycle. And once you've raised that awareness for the customer, once they're aware that they've got this need, they begin doing their research. and typically, they'll they'll do a lot of the research themselves. They'll want to educate themselves on what's out there. Um, so, for example, a car buyer is going to try find different types of car, you know, find all the different types of cars that exist and try to figure out to begin with, you know, what's going to fit their needs. Like, what type of car do they want? So, we're in the initial research phase there. And these two, you know, these t- two first steps of the buying cycle are probably the most important. Um, when it comes to content marketing. So a lot of the content marketing you do is going to be about raising awareness and, and you know, providing the stuff that helps people do the research. Okay. So you're answering those two questions. So what's the third step in the buying cycle? Great. So the third step is consideration. So at this point, the customer starts comparing different products from different vendors to make sure they're getting a high quality product at a fair price. 
Um, and that's when you can segue more into your traditional marketing. Okay. And then that leads us to the fourth step, which is? Right. And that's the final step then, Jonathan. That's buying. So finally, the customer makes their decision and moves forward with the transaction and they buy the product, obviously, because you've checked off all those points. You've answered all those questions. Okay. So I understand those four steps of the buying cycle. How does that tie into content marketing? So basically, Jonathan, I mean, it's about it's really about raising awareness for the solutions and educating your customers about the product, because genuinely, most of the time, they've never considered this product before. And, you know, if they have considered the product, it's been other products they've considered, they're not aware of your product. So you're basically selling them on the merits of your product. So why are we talking about content marketing in a small business podcast? What can a small business do to engage in content marketing? Well, I mean, Jonathan, if you think about it, for someone that hasn't got started, you know, someone who hasn't started their business, um, the the hardest thing is getting customers in the door for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you have started your business, you know, you've still got to um, maintain that relationship. You've still got to keep them coming back. You've still got to, you know, ensure that they love your product, that they get value out of your product, because that's that's the core of content marketing, that you are providing value. So Candace, let's, let's, let's have a little fun here. So uh, let's think about some of the users, some of the listeners that we've got already, um, and just let's brainstorm. What, what could they do for content marketing? Uh, so, you know, I've got a friend who sells uh, custom-made headbands on her Etsy shop. Um, what's something that you would recommend for her to do uh, when it comes to content marketing? Oh gosh, Jonathan. Well, she's got an online business, obviously, so she's probably, you know, pretty comfortable online. I'd say, you know, if she doesn't have a blog, she should definitely have a blog. She should be, um, you know, getting people to model her headbands, potentially. Okay. Yeah. She should be putting those headbands on Pinterest. Um, she could be teaching people to make the headbands. So she could run a regular, you know, a weekly blog post teaching people to make them. So Candice, we, uh, we've got a bar in our in our office basement here. They serve some kind of hipster food, I think, and uh, they also serve coffee. So what can a place like uh, the Barnlight here in Eugene, Oregon do to content market? Right. Um, well, one of the one of the stores that I you know regularly go to is uh, Michael's. I also go to Joanne's because I'm a bit of a crafter myself. And um, something they do that's really great is they give me the option to sign up for their texts. And in doing that, I get a weekly text whenever they've got a deal on or when they're running free classes in their store. And even when I'm not, you know, even when I don't want to buy anything, when I don't want to top up my supplies, the fact that I'm getting that message means I think of them. And more often than not, you know, when they've got a good deal on like a 25% sale and maybe it's a sale on frames or something, I go in and I'm not interested in buying frames, you know, I'm interested in buying jewelry supplies, but it got me thinking about them again. Yeah, so Candace, that's great. I've got a friend here in, in Oregon, he makes guitars. We started him on a content marketing program recently, started posting some blog posts about why he flies all the way to Italy just to find some wood. It's not interesting necessarily to me, probably not interesting to you, but it turns out that there is a group of very interested folks out there in the world. People who want to learn more about this, people who write in his comments section, and maybe they're not necessarily customers yet, but the idea that you're suggesting is that over time he can get this dedicated group of followers, and then some of them will become customers, some of them will become 
maybe advocates or champions for his brand, is that right? Right, because initially what he's trying to do obviously is raise awareness. So if he can get them interested, if he can first get his name out there and then get them interested in the product, he's one step closer to getting, you know, to turning them into customers. Excellent. Well, I think that probably does it for us for the content marketing segment. Thank you so much, Candice, for taking the time to explain that to us and to our listeners. Thank you, Jonathan Peter. That was great fun. So guys, one other thing that's been coming up a lot lately over the last couple of years here really is this notion of, of 3D printing. Um, love to talk a little bit today about how that affects small businesses, what we can maybe think about as business owners, uh, and, and really, you know, what does it mean for the future? Uh, I just wanted to bring up kind of like the basic question. So how much does it cost for someone to start 3D printing? What goes into it? Materials, equipment, what is it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. For, certainly for hundreds of dollars, but up to thousands of dollars, you can, you know, find yourself putting something together that might or might not work for you. The real thing is you've got to think about this, and the word printer is really the important word in the 3D printer equation. Uh, just like you know, the dot matrix printers of their days. Is that is that too old for you, Jonathan? Is it that, is. It's I have too old no idea what you're print. talking about. It's basically an issue of quality. So the the surface might be very stippled or uh, rough. Uh, in a lower quality printer. As you go up the, the chain, you know, the, the, the surface can increase in quality, the quality of the material, the durability of the materials, the types, uh, the resolution of materials, all of these things will increase up to the point where you have things that look like they might have come off you know, a normal assembly line. Sure, so this is becoming more and more something that uh, regular people, hobbyists, can actually pull together and start using. Right. And you know, what's interesting is I actually recently bought a 3D printing pen. And if you, you sort of don't know what that looks like, that that's a bit like a glue gun, but it's the same concept. It basically melts the plastic and allows you to form um, creations in 3D to build them up in layers. How um, much did that uh, that pen run you? That's under 100, oh, under wow. 100, Jonathan. So you're definitely looking at prices coming down, but... But as I said, it's it's sort of the glue gun reworked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what have you made with that? Um, not much of anything, to be honest, Peter. <laughs> it's all well and good. I, I've attempted the, the Eiffel Towers that they obviously show on the Kickstarter project. <laughs> but those haven't turned out well. Actually, controlling, controlling the flow, you know yourself, is very hard. Well, Candice, that kind of leads me to a point which, you know, I can't help but make. And I'm not trying to be cynical here, but... I've seen a lot of this talk about the democratization of production, this idea that every human can now produce the things that these you know, diabolical factories can produce, and now I can finally make my custom version of blank. And it's very exciting up until I hear what that blank actually is. It tends to be a model of the Eiffel Tower, or a, a new mug, or a toy that represents right. some cartoon. Or a plastic spammer. Uh, literally a fork. Uh, yes, and, and in fact, you, your point is great. The, the, the NASA example that we're holding up as kind of the proof of concept here is literally, and you said spanner, but here in the United States we say wrench, so it's we're all learning something. Wait, to that point, Peter, um, what's interesting is you say that's a big worry, but at the moment, I mean, you know, even with being able to buy 3D printers and use them in your own home, the fact that you've got to know how to use CAD software 
um, and that's computer-aided design software, mm -hmm. is a whole other barrier in itself. Even if you do learn to use it, you know, you teach yourself to use it like you would teach yourself to use Photoshop, the price point is, you know, something that most people can't afford. And to bring it back to small businesses, that is absolutely a major consideration. Mm -hmm. There is not an easy inroads, unless you are already pretty savvy at computers, uh, to, to simply start producing 3D printed materials tomorrow. Even if you know your 3D modeling software, even if you know the connection between that software to the physical printer, and then you have some idea of the quality of the good that will come out, there is still a learning curve, even with all three of those knowledge sets intact. Right, and yes, you're starting a 3D printing business, and obviously you, you've fairly recently mentioned to me that you know someone in town that has actually got his own business, and one of the one of the things he does is three D printing or three D modeling. Right, it's for rapid prototyping, and I think this is a great point here. One of the things that I think many small businesses should be aware of is that you don't necessarily need to produce the printing product yourself, produce the printing product uh, process yourself. You might want to work with a company like the one Candace described, which is sort of a rapid prototyping house. Uh, where you go to them, you describe what you want, and they're used to seeing you know, sketches on napkin backs, and they are used to producing the thing that you need produce. So this will be quicker than shipping uh, a model out to you know, the Chinese factory that will then produce the item, and you can also run tests on it. So out of interest, what about like printing something like coffee? Candice, did you just say print coffee? Well, what what MIT's actually recent, or a couple of students at MIT have actually recently been able to do is print ice cream, um, and they've done that by hacking a solidoodle pen, a solidoodle three D printing pen, and something else I can't remember off the top of my head, but. Um, but yes, so apparently you can print ice cream now, so maybe the future of a small business will involve printed coffee. I don't know. That's a terrible idea. I'm just going to be sitting in the corner, 3D printing ice cream into my mouth. Forget about productivity on any other level. I don't want to imagine printing anything into your mouth. <laughs> Let's go around the room. What do you think of 3D printing? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What are your thoughts? Peter? Yeah, I think at a manufacturing level, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. We're going to see it increase in quality. Uh, rapid prototyping is going to be dramatically increased. We might see some very cool, uh, never-before-considered product types comes out of that. Uh, I think at a small business level, we're going to see new businesses emerge as a result of this kind of product and technology. I don't know if it's going to affect the, the main street businesses as much, but I do think it's nice to have a, a, a feel for the pulse. Yeah. So I would suggest, as a general rule, to just stay in touch with what's going on in that industry. Maybe get to know whatever your local uh, rapid prototyping or your local production house might be and think about it on your end. Maybe there is a custom product that you could start to produce uh, and maybe talk to that house about how to do that. I would go ahead and caution against, unless you are that high level, you know, I might say geek level, mm -hmm. uh, in, in which case you're already buying this machine. Yeah. You know, don't go out and buy one tomorrow assuming that you're just going to be able to print out everything you need. The, uh, the NASA example is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a great case of thinking about this as a truly innovative concept. Uh, you know, it's not just that they created a wrench. It's that they didn't fly the wrench from Earth to space. 
Right. And that's what's really interesting about that piece. They didn't not just fly the one wrench, they didn't fly thousands of different tools. They waited until the tool was needed, they knew they could produce it, they produced it when and only when it was needed, and then they had it for that purpose. So they saved, you know, in this case, tons of actual literal rocket fuel. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Candace, what do you think? I mean, for me, 3D printing is definitely, you know, something I'm interested in. And perhaps that goes back to the fact that I'm a bit of a maker myself. Um, I make jewelry, but I also like to make other things. So the idea, you know, that I can create something online or even that I can create something, I don't know, in plastic or in clay and scan it and then, you know, manipulate it online and then print it in whatever material I want. Um, you know, in the future, right now we're pretty much only at plastic home printing, um, 3D printers. But in the future, maybe I'll be able to print it in metal, in gold or silver or something like that. So I think for me, it's really going to democratize sort of maybe product design in some way. Um, it's going to bring that right into your home. And I think, <laughs> you know, it's not my it's not the, my favorite item I've seen printed, but it's perhaps one of the more innovative uses of a 3D printer. There's a company called Crayon Creatures. And basically, if, if you have a child and your child's, you know, maybe five years old, four years old, and they're creating all these crazy drawings, what you can do is send the drawing in and the company will turn that drawing into a 3D figurine, which they will print out and send to you. So it's you know it's sort of actualizing an idea, a drawing, and I I think that's great. That's great. One copy to the parents, one copy to the therapist. It's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess uh, for me, you know, I feel kind of agnostic about it. I I don't see anything wrong with 3D printing. I think it's fascinating the advances that we're able to make in technology. Um, but I also have a hard time just visualizing what kinds of things people can do with them. Uh, so it's really fun for me to kind of see all of the things that people are creating and innovating on their own. And it just feels like around every corner I'm being surprised by this thing that people are 3D printing and that thing that people are 3D printing. So uh, I'm really fascinated to see where it continues to develop. You know, that kind of goes back to my idea, though. I have never been fascinated by what someone has printed at home. (laughs) And I'll be honest, like, I, I feel like I totally get the excitement behind it. And maybe this is your point about the Apple Watch. I want someone to excite me about the democratization of printing. I get it at an industrial level. I love that there is huge potential at the local level, meaning, you know, I could now go down to the street the same way I do to Kinko's to get something professionally printed. But if I owned one of these at home and I'm extremely excited to start my printing process and I go home today and I print out what? What is it? And, I, you know, maybe this is a fun time for our listeners to just write in. What would be very cool? I've heard fork. <laughs> I've heard a bolt for my oven. Yeah. I've heard a gun. Someone actually suggested I print a gun, and I'm not sure what he hoped for there. (laughs) So if you're listening to the podcast and you have an opinion about 3D printing, we'd love to hear it. You can uh, email us at bcast at bplans.com, or if you'd like, you can give us a shout-out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at bplans, so feel free to give us a mention and just use 3D printing as a hashtag. We'll see it and tell us what you think. Uh, So one more thing that I wanted to do with 3D printing is just kind of go around the room. Peter and Candice, you know, local level, industrial level, what's the coolest thing that you've seen with 3D printing so far? 
All right, so for me, Jonathan, and I can't remember what TV show this was on. I feel like it was how it's um, how it's made or MythBusters or something like that. But basically, this uh, someone that printed a three D well, the three D printed a bicycle, and I think that's a really interesting concept that hmm. you could print something that actually works in real life. Um, now I'm not a hundred percent sure that it lasted very long, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it was a good idea. You know, Jonathan, I, I love this project called Enabling the Future. It's a hand replacement, a prosthetic hand oh, okay. uh, project. And you know what's cool about this is it's not just this idea that a 3D printer can produce a thing, but it also is this idea that as soon as you have the printer in a country where maybe the prosthetic isn't available, the printer itself becomes a means of developing a community around enablement. So, I mean, how cool is that? We're, we're taking a little bit of that power away from the bureaucratic, maybe hospital, maybe expensive process. We're, you know, giving literally children hands when they didn't have one, so that's beautiful and everything. Yeah. But it's just a very cool use of this. And I think, again, it's not an at-home use, but it's a, a localized use. I mean, you see higher end work at Boeing, but this is at a very sort of uh, personal level. So it's it's very interesting to look at. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, it kind of ties into some of the things that I've seen that I'm most fascinated about with uh, 3D printing, and that's in the medical field. I see scientists working already on developing ways to print human tissue for skin grafts. And I think even the goal there is to be able to print uh, organs, uh, artificial hearts, artificial lungs. So that's really uh, fascinating to me I think it's great so you're saying they should print Oregon no <laughs> organs like the pipe organs nope human organs nope interesting and yeah. on that note absolutely so thanks for talking about 3d printing guys uh, I think that'll do it for our podcast and we are out if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show send us an email at bcast at bplans.com that's bcast at bplans.com our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business.